You're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Katie. She's got a fucked up story about apothecary. She's got a fucked up story about an apocalypse. I I put you on the spot. She's got a fucked up story about an apothecary of trauma. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be positively terrible. Hey, Scott. Hey, Dan. What's going on, man? Oh, man. You know what? We got a dog this week. What's going on with you? You did get a dog this week. I saw pictures. We'll have to put those up on Instagram or the website or something. Well, my, my yeah, he's week real is photogenic. Not- my 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 week is not as exciting as yours. It's uh, another one of the last oh probably eight weeks in a row that I've been dealing with the fallout from COVID and feeling pretty mediocre. But very happy to be here. This is the one thing that makes me feel alive lately. And one thing that I will say is, if anybody is worried that we're running out of fucked up stories. Do not worry. The inconsistency we've had the last three, four weeks has been simply because of health reasons. We are good. We've got like 30, 40 people who have expressed interest in being on the show. It's kind of ridiculous. That's like half a year, uh, more than half a year's worth of show. So we've got that going. And today... Good news. The world's not running out of fucked up story, guys. No, no, it's not. And... Katie's here today. And Katie, we get really excited about fucked up stories. Uh, As much as I hate to say it that way, I think we're doing a little good in the world by talking about them. So Katie, how are you? I'm doing great. I survived my mother growing up. And so far, I've survived my pretty fucked up life. So I'm pretty happy. (laughs) Uh, I think we can celebrate that. Yes, I, I, I will take a drink of my LaCroix. This is actually pretty good. I'm not usually a LaCroix guy. I usually go with the Aldi brand. I can't even think V or something like that is the the seltzer water that I get from Aldi, but they were out, so I went with LaCroix. So I'm cheersing you with my LaCroix. I'm glad you survived. I'm glad you're here. And my f- screen just froze, but it looks like everybody's trying to cheers me. <laughs> cheers. I'm going to cheers you with my cup that says, do you even code, bro? Which I don't, so it's ironic at this point. <laughs> I, I I I I don't either. Um, but I do interview people, so that is why you're here today. And Katie, you started telling us you 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 had a bit of a wild ride as a childhood. Um, so let uh, let's let's back up and and let's talk a little bit about you and and who you were as a child. So. What were you into? Ooh. Let's see. That's a pretty loaded question. At one point, I was really into wandering around the woods by myself. And okay. that was a lot of my piece. My mom, she, so my mom is a, she's a pivotal point in my hmm. trauma development and how humor probably became my trauma response. But... <laughs> 
I, I think a lot of people can say that. Oh. So she had been raised very religious. And I got to go along for the ride after she had been kicked out of the church and she dove headfirst into new age spirituality. And when I talk about like headfirst into it, uh, we ended up living on a little commune in Crestone, Colorado, when I was nine years old. We lived in a camper van. It was like this astro van conversion thing. I wasn't allowed to go to school, so I spent a whole lot of time wandering around the woods <laughs> with this guy who ran this whole little commune who said that it was against the natural order to kick rocks because it took them out of their energetic field, to which I very privately would kick and chuck a lot of rocks. Okay. I, you know, it's your energetic field, I, rocks. I, I think I'm going to speak for Dan, too. I'm just going to guess that we, our equivalent was stepping on a crack because <laughs> break your mother's back was the saying when we were children. So that might have happened on occasion. But so you're, you're in this commune and I, I'm just going to I'm going to start off strong. I'm just well, going to back up before you start off strong. You're in a okay. commune in an Astro van. Yeah. And like, like, that's like a minivan. So this one was actually a camper conversion. It was called a tiger. So it had a queen bed on top, but it was basically just an Astro van that you could pop up the top of. All right. All right. Nice. Pop what up color top, was it? Like, like convertible? No, not quite. <laughs> that would have been a lot cooler. What? I probably could have made it happen. <laughs> what color was it? It was white with these blue and silver stripes along the side of it. It had a little shower and like a little toilet in it, but I don't remember ever using it because my mom would use it to just store a bunch of random shit. <laughs> so we would have to shower outside with this camping shower that we would just fill up and then, you know, trudge into the woods a little way and then open up the valve and all of a sudden you're freezing and you're naked and you're in the woods and you're like, why is this happening? Man, you were living that van life before Instagram. Yeah, I was doing it way before that was cool. That, at right. that point, it was still just called homeless and trauma. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'm not going to go as big as I was going to go before because Dan was asking the big questions like, what color was the van? <laughs> but I, I will ask, how many people were there at this point? Uh, it was only me and my mom in the actual van. Okay. The portion of the camp that we stayed on the most was next to this other guy who lived in a Winnebago. His name was Dogman. He was fantastic. Really love that dude. So yeah. when the Dogman comics came out later, I was like, that touch is a special place in my soul. He All was right. the first person to ever show me like throwing magnesium into a fire so that you get the colorful flames. And I thought it was magic. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that this was your education then, it sounds like. So what was when you say the part of the camp, so this entire camp, did it have like a single leader? Is that what I mean, is this a cult? That's what I'm getting at. Is it a cult? I have wondered so many times in my adult life if this was a cult. Because there was one main leader guy, and I think his name was John. I can't really remember anymore. But then there was like this meditation hut that was a little ways down this trail. There was a few other hippies that lived in buses. 
One of them kind of looked like Brad Pitt. So naturally at nine years old, I was like, I'm going to marry him. And <laughs> was that Dogman or someone else? No, that was somebody else. I have no idea what his name was. But while I was living there, they told me that my Kundalini was awakening and that I needed to go on some awakening journey. I can't remember exactly what he called it, but basically I was abandoned at the end of this trail in the middle of the night and I had to make it to the meditation temple by myself and I'm nine years old. So I start pretending like I'm a panther and that I can see in the dark (laughs) and somehow I made my way to that little meditation temple where my mom is just crying and there's a bunch of people that are like, she made it. I was like, I have no idea what's happening. (laughs) I I mean, first of all, I, when I sit here and I think like, well, how do cults, I'm just going to go with it. Okay. I'm going to call this one a cult unless you tell me not to, but I can see how this would be like, could and I don't know how you reacted to it, but I could see how this could come out as like being some sort of super spiritual or like holy shit, I was a panther and I I made it to where I was supposed to, and I I had no skills or knowledge. Something is bigger than me here. So you said your mom was crying. What was she crying from? Excitement, happiness that you made it. Was that what it was, or or, or what? With her emotional reaction. Looking back on it as an adult, I'm not sure if it was a manipulation tactic to get people to feel sorry for her and everything that was happening there, or if she genuinely was actually worried about me. It's okay. kind of a coin toss. Okay. So were, <laughs> were, were you excited or were you just like, what the fuck just happened? I was pretty much like, what the fuck just happened? Okay. I think at okay. this point, my life had already been kind of a wild ride, so I was desensitized to some things. <laughs> At this at nine, you're already desensitized. To, oh my god! Okay, but I think even looking back on that time period, there are some moments that I almost want to go back and just visit that place again and see if it's a part of my imagination or if it really was there. I remember a UFO observation deck that we used to go to. <laughs> okay. And I've never gone back as an adult to verify if it's actually there or if that's something that a nine-year-old brain was like, there's UFOs here. Uh, well, I want to I, I do a remote from the UFO observation deck. Definitely. So if you ever go back, Dan and I are coming with you. All right. Let's go to Crestone, Colorado. I mean, this all sounds awesome. You get to go camping. You get to pretend you're a, ta- a panther in the middle of the to, night. You get to be naked outside, from what I hear. This is this is <laughs> wonderful. Like, I hate pants. I don't know if any of you. Never mind. I'm not going to go down that 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 road. <laughs> okay, right. I'm actually going to look this up because now I'm just but, curious if there's actually a UFO. Oh my God, there is! <laughs> can't wait to 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 see this we're gonna have to you're gonna have to send us that information and you're also going to have to explain to us the word you used earlier that i usually sit here and google when people are talking but i had no idea how to spell what you said or now that we've had a are back from a technical difficulty i can't even remember what the term was but you had to find find your something i think you said 
Yeah, when you went on your spirit walk as a panther, they oh, said you were had something emerging or something. What was that? My kundalini was awakening. So I had, <laughs> had a dream. I can't believe I remember this so vividly. I had had a dream of a snake and a lion. And the snake ended up coiling around the lion. And the cult leader guy and some other dude that was there said that that was a sign of my kundalini awakening, which as far as I understand it is your, your energy source that is connected to the source and how you are guided through life on your divine spiritual path. Okay. That is Probably the best description that I could give with my general understanding of it. Okay. Well, I I did Google and Google is brilliant and figured out that my spelling was way off, but knew what I was looking for. And there is something called Kundalini Yoga. And there's a concept of Kundalini in Hinduism, but the Kundalini yoga, there's just a very brief, you know, snippet on Google that says Kundalini is the term for spiritual energy or life force located at the base of the spine, conceptualized as a coiled up serpent. So you just said something very similar to that about your dream, didn't you? Didn't you say... A, a snake around. If a I was lion? a cult leader and some nine-year-old kid said they just had a dream about their snake awakening and wrapping itself around a lion, I would be terrified for my life. He was probably hoping you were going to die in those woods. Oh, jeez. I mean, Do I you... could just be Harry Potter, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Guys, this is a real problem. Let's just have her walk in the woods at night, and then that'll just solve this problem. <laughs> All right. I do have a question about that, though. So I, I hear uh, a coiled up serpent. I hear you say uh, a snake wrapped around a lion. Like, was something planted in your head, possibly, about this kundalini that made that dream happen? Or do you think he heard this dream and was able to match it up with something that was similar? I'm not entirely sure. The only thing that I know for fact that I did a majority of the time, aside from wandering around in the woods, was I would hole up in that camper and watch Stand By Me and Bruce Lee movies, especially Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon was my favorite. (laughs) Uh, All right. So that doesn't sound too abnormal for a childhood. Nah. Maybe being in the camper is is a little bit different, but were you the uh, only I, kid around? I was. Man, there was some other kids in Crestone, but nobody that actually lived in this little area outside of Crestone that I was on. Yeah. Got it. And, and you said you you weren't able to go to school. Did, were were you? Uh, did you receive some sort of education at home, or was it just you're off in the forest doing your thing most of the time? I did go to school intermittently, Okay. but the last grade that I had completed start to finish was actually seventh grade. Okay. And even that is kind of a interesting tale. I had a a bit of a hoodlum streak. Okay. (laughs) How could you not? As one, as one does. Yeah. And my mom, she didn't take too kindly to some of my behavior when I was in seventh grade which 
you know, like when you're in seventh grade, you're kind of supposed to be an asshole and a hoodlum. Like it's a, it's character building. Sure. And she, I, I think there was a few last straws, but her form of discipline was she packed up all of my stuff into her sob while I was sleeping, woke me up at about four o'clock in the morning, told me that we were going to get my glasses fixed. And... We were off and running. That was the first time that she had kidnapped me. I woke up halfway to Utah. I think we were in Grand Junction when I woke up finally. Okay. And then we lived in Vegas behind the stratosphere for a little while. And then made our way to California after that and bummed around on some people's couches and lived in hotels. Okay. So this is after the, the commune? Yeah. This was when I was... Uh, Let's see. I guess I would have been 13 or 14. Okay. Oh, no. It, I think I was actually 14 because I had been in a car accident just shortly before we left. Okay. Wow. And what was your mom into? Like, she's kind of weird, hippie, spiritual. Is she a nice lady is she a mean lady is she doing drugs this whole time is she just looking for boyfriends what's your mom up to this whole time she's kind of a cornucopia of all of that at one point she was growing mushrooms and she would drop me off in cow pastures to pick up cow shit put them into giant trash bags and then come back with the camper and i would fill up the camper with giant trash bags of dried cow shit. I got really good at figuring out which ones were the best ones to pick up because if they were hard enough to kind of pivot with my foot, then I knew that they weren't too messy. But we did that throughout. So you're learning life skills. Yeah. I I, I was literally going to just say that is, you know, cow, cow pies aside, did you feel like, do you feel like you learned survival skills? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. I think that's why when I was older, hitchhiking and train hopping really didn't scare me very much. Okay. <laughs> because at that point, you know, I had seen so many things in my short time on this earth that being around other people who understood that level of unhinged childhood was strangely perfect. Like, I, it really did feel like Peter Pan being directed by Quentin Tarantino and Charles Bukowski. <laughs> like, you just find your lost boys and you're like, all right, let's go. <laughs> you know, uh, explained right, like ahead. that, that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I, you finally found a tribe, right? Yeah. Like, people that probably got you for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I had met a group of kids in Washington, and that's where I first ended up train hopping. I had been hitchhiking prior to that. And meeting them made me feel like I really was understood for the first time. I didn't have to pretend I was anybody that I wasn't. I could talk very openly about how fucked up shit was, and it was received really well. And I also heard some stories that I was like, holy shit, that's fucked up. But like intermingled with all of that was I also got to meet some of the most amazing people 
I potentially will ever meet in my entire life. There are some incredible strangers out there with some of the most just heartwarming stories that I don't think a lot of people could open themselves up to be able to hear when it's coming from a certain demographic. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I've always gravitated toward people that are kind of outside of the norm, I, I will say. Maybe not to the extreme that you're talking about, not, not a lot of train hoppers and hitchhikers, but I've always found that there are a lot of people who fall outside of what society thinks is kind of the, what, what we should be or, or, or what normal is. I always find such fucking sincere people. They might do shit that I don't even agree with, but in the end, it's a lot of times seems to comes from, you know, whatever traumas has informed their life. And, but in the end, they're people that are just good fucking people, decent fucking humans. And I, th I think that that's what you're kind of describing here is, you know, you find these people and, and you find your community, right? Absolutely. So I, I'm going to back up though a little bit and ask, when all of the, well, I've got two questions, uh, you know, first question is at what point, or was there a point when you realized that your childhood wasn't normal? <laughs> yes. Okay. My mom had hit a point where she decided that she wanted to become a mortgage broker and mm. somehow she had procured two houses in Colorado that she didn't own, but somehow she was renovating one of them and then she was running her mortgage business out of the other one. Okay. And she had some employees at this point. I still wasn't allowed to go to school, so I was just locked up in this back room watching TV, mostly. Mm -hmm. And when social services started to come around because her employees had called social services, that's when I started to realize, oh, I might actually have an out. Like I could actually get out of this situation. Oh, wow. That's actually really So you important. would rather, at this point, how old were you? 14, 15? I was, I was 13 at that point. Okay. And you were like, I'll choose the state. I'd rather go with the state and what, what, whatever is on that side. I'm good without being with my mom. Yep. Wow. That, that was a point where I was like, please, like, just. Just take me, please. And the woman who apparently was in charge of my case, she had come to interview me two or three times and actually gave me her number. And I was like, okay, like let's let's make this happen. I want to go. And we did this weird dance for a little while. I ended up, my mom ended up kicking me out of the house at one point. And it it was so freeing. It was so amazing. Just being on my own. The first night I actually slept in a graveyard and it was just incredible. I, it was the most free I had felt probably in my entire life. Wow. A lot of, a lot of very interesting kind of people showed up in my life at that point that once again also became family. But when I did finally go home, 
it was shortly after that that she packed up my stuff and took me to Las Vegas. Okay. So, and, and that's a good segue because I said I had two questions. The other question was that you used the term kidnapped earlier when you talked about going to Las Vegas. And, and I'll say that caught me off guard because you were living with your mom, or at least I presumed that you were living with your mom. Were you out of the house at that time and she just came and grabbed you or were you back home and she's like, we're fucking going? I mean, she didn't tell you. I know she didn't tell you. No, she didn't tell me. So I did have a father figure of sorts. I didn't find out until much later that he wasn't my biological father, which makes a lot more sense now as to why I didn't get to see him very much when I was growing up, but I still called him dad. Him and I had had a pretty deep conversation about what was healthiest for me, and he really wanted me to go to school. I had explained that I was going to call the social worker and that I was going to try to, if I could, get into a group home because it kept feeling like there was enough that was happening that could remove me from her care. And ultimately... It didn't work out like that. Mm -hmm. That was when I think she kind of sniffed that things were happening. She did have one of her employees who I have a whole Facebook message that I did with her that I asked her a bunch of questions years later that really kind of helped me understand a little bit more about how bad it really was. And yeah. Yeah. So kidnapping, I say kidnapping, surely, because that was very much against my own will. Yeah. And it was taking me away from really the only person that really had positive intentions for me growing up. Sure. And and it, it sounds like, you know, it, it it sounds like she wasn't really a mom anyway, right? She was... I'm assuming the woman who gave birth to you, yeah, and the 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 main adult in in your life. It sounds like, but she took you away from your life and did that without being a mother. She just, you're going with me now, and you left. Is what it sounds like. And did and did I hear correctly earlier? I swear I heard you say the word that that was the first time she kidnapped you. Did did I hear that correctly? Yes. Okay. How how many times were there? Uh just two. Just 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 two. <laughs> <laughs> two more than most of us, but just two. Okay. Was the other one as traumatic of an experience for you? No. The second one was just kind of me being like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" okay and that was actually that was in venice beach so after we left las vegas we ended up in oceanside california we bounced Mm -hmm. back and forth between oceanside and carlsbad they're right next to each other so it's not much of a leap but we were living in an extended stay in carlsbad she had left me a note that she was leaving and that I needed to sneak out because she hadn't paid the bill. And I was like, cool, I'm, I'm on my own now. That's Mm -hmm. super. 
Thank you. <laughs> I did see that there was a pretty large homeless population when I had gone to Venice the first time because she had dropped me off on Venice to just kind of wander around while she did whatever meeting. And in that time period, <laughs> I kind of kept notes on where I could go in case things got bad. It was very reminiscent of when I was in Boulder and when I was homeless. There's a lot of homeless people that were kind of around. So I knew I knew the first time that I was kicked out where to go. And I think in the back of my mind, I needed that safety net. Like I need to know where to go in case I get abandoned or kicked out or whatever again. Mm -hmm. So leaving the extended stay between hitchhiking and bussing it, I finally found my way back to Venice Beach. That first day, I thought that I was just going to be camping out on the beach. But right off the bat, there was a guy who worked at a sterling silver shop. It was right next to BJ's Pizza, who <laughs> kind of caught a whiff of like, this is not a good situation. Like, this is a very young girl in a little schoolgirl outfit. <laughs> By herself, this is there's so much bad that could happen right now. And he told me that he had two girl roommates, he lived right around the corner, and that I should come and sleep on his couch. And in the position that I was in, I was like, well, don't necessarily have any other better options. Sure. And by some grace of whatever kundalini source, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I ended up actually finding a decent human being who took care of me for quite a few months. Wow. It was it was one of it was one of those moments that could have gone so terribly terribly wrong. Yeah. And it turned out to just be one of those weird situations where all of a sudden I was going to raves in Northern California and I was like, "Cool. <laughs> I'm going to sleep in this tree." And then you wake up super itchy and you're like, "What the fuck was in that tree?" <laughs> I know one of those. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a we call that Tuesday around here. So <laughs> no, I I I there's so many directions I can go right now and can't help but notice, you know, first you wanted a group home, then you're going to be homeless on the beach is what I think I heard. Then living with some random people that you've never met before. And it all sounds like all of those options were preferable to being with your mom. Is is, is that accurate? Yep. Okay. So, so a minute ago, you said, what the fuck is wrong with you or her uh, about your mom? And I'm wondering if you've ever figured out what the fuck it was wrong with your mom. Well, this is where the plot thickens. You had asked about the second time of kidnapping. Mm-hmm. When I was on Venice Beach, I ended up getting picked up by the police, and they told me that basically I was filed as a runaway. I was like, excuse okay. me? By who? <laughs> <laughs> right. They brought me back to the police station. They brought me back to my mom. My mom was in hysterics. She, I have no idea what her end game was with this. But she was in mass hysterics and so excited to see me and 
oh, I'm so like, I'm so sorry for whatever I've done that made you leave. And I was like, you left me. <laughs> you left me a <laughs> note to sneak out. I left. Right. And shortly after that, she told me that we were going to go and see my sister, who actually lived in California at the time. And then she took me to Idaho. And we lived in Sun Valley, Idaho, where she left me in a one-bedroom apartment and would call me randomly and let me know that there was money stashed around the house. Okay. Like money for just living expenses? Yeah. Like $50 is taped on the inside of this drawer. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Like, okay. Uh, okay. So w- w- when she's contacting you, like, is, so are you saying she's not around? Not, well, I've been no contact with her for about five years. Okay. I know where she lives, but it's just, it's not worth the headache. Yeah. When I was in Idaho, I had some hints about what she could be. And some of those hints were coming from professionals who had mentioned borderline personality disorder. And I think there might be a little bit of a mishkongul of cluster B in there. But I think what we're dealing with is just a lot of trauma in her life that Mm -hmm. maybe turned into some coping mechanisms that are more geared towards Aspects of maliciousness, even if it's unintentional. Okay. And you said a couple of minutes ago that you didn't know what the end game was. And, you know, this podcast, I'm I'm not going to get into it. The listeners have, have heard it enough, but it started after my marriage collapsed and it turned out my wife uh, of 15 years uh, I don't think I knew. Like literally, my dad asked me this weekend, "What did you know your ex say this one time?" And I was like, "Or what did she do?" Or ask me about something, a story she used to tell. And I said, I, "I, I said I literally don't know if anything she ever told me was true that happened outside of you know what I witnessed." And the the intro to this it says, you know, when Scott, his wife's fiance and his wife's boyfriend walk into a bar. I had been offering this woman divorce and she wouldn't take it. Yet I find out she's got a man who calls himself her fiance and a man who calls herself his boyfriend who wants to move to North Carolina with her. And they're fucking looking at apartments and all of this. And it's like, what is the end game? And I think when people have whatever they're, you know, I, I can't diagnose her. I've never asked my therapist or any therapist what she may or may not be. Cause it's not important in the end. She is what she is, but there was certainly no thinking about the future. It was however she could fulfill her needs in that moment. I believe is just what she did with no regard for anybody else, any repercussions, what she was going to do a week from now or a year from now or whatever. So I, I think, have you come to terms with that? Like where it's, to me, it's not worth asking questions even like why or what was behind it? Because I'm never going to know. I think for her and the role that she's played in my life, I stopped asking questions about her motives and started to want 
a better understanding of mental illness and mental health and yeah. personality disorders. It gave me a lot of reassurance in life when I was able to understand borderline personality disorder. Even when I was pregnant with my son, I I turned the dial all the way up on the therapy. I was like, once a week, <laughs> twice a week, how much do we need here? Like, sure. I know that sometimes when a woman especially who was raised by somebody with a cluster B personality disorder has a child, that's when some of those symptoms can start to amp up and that was what I really didn't want to do. I wanted to make sure that I was as healthy as I possibly could be so that raising my son, I wouldn't create the same cycle of absolute bullshit. Sure. But with studying all of this, it really helped me understand mental health and it under it helped me understand my learned and mimicked behaviors and how to process through them mm -hmm. and eventually come to a place where I'm able to talk about this. I'm able to laugh about it. <laughs> I'm able to think about my mom and not be like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good place to be considering where you started from. How fantastic yeah. is that? It's been a lot of therapy and also a lot of mindset work. I became totally. like, I went through a uh, NLP practitioner certification and I realized through NLP that what what's NLP? Sorry. Neuro linguistic programming. It's what Tony Robbins pedals, yep. but you can also use it for journaling. So anytime that I would get triggered, I would use NLP to try to bring myself to a natural awareness and a neutral emotion, start to rewrite how I wanted to approach these triggers in the future, and just working with the neuroplasticity of my brain to actually help me achieve a more normal life and a more normal response to my environment and myself. Yeah. And, and that sounds kind of amazing here. And, you know, one of the, the big things that Dan and I advocate for is, is any sort of mental health, self-care, therapy, those types of things. And I had a great it, session it, with my therapist today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell Big yeah. shout out I, to you, therapist, who's not listening to my podcast. <laughs> well, I, I I may need to email him. Dan and I shared a therapist, and like two months ago, the the therapist and I agreed that things were going so fucking great that it was time to uh, graduate and at least you know stop scheduling sessions until the next time I'm ready to work on something. And it was a great two years and I was super emotional. And then like literally I got COVID within a week or two of doing that and have been absolutely miserable uh, physically, which has led to kind of a collapse uh, of my mental health. So 
I, I think it might t- be time. I, I, I wasn't going to do it. I, was, I keep saying that, wait, I'm going to wait until, you know, I start getting better physically. But as we're sitting here and talking about it, you know, we like to set an example for, for people and, you know, make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. And admittedly, I, I probably haven't been. So it sucks. In in eight weeks, I've gone from <laughs> on top of the world to not wanting to get out of bed uh, half the time. Um, but a lot of that is physical right now. And I need to work on that. But, I, you know, I, I will say, Katie, that looking at you and talking to, to you, and I, I say looking because I can see the, the way you know, your facial expressions and things as you talk through this, you seem to be pretty fucking well adjusted, uh, at least from what I can see. Uh, I'm also the guy who was married to that woman for 15 years without knowing that everything she said was lying. So you, you I, I'm going to take you at your word that you are a decent fucking human and, and are pretty well adjusted at this point. But what, like, I, I don't even know how to ask. I, I, I kind of want to ask, like, when you were in the midst of this, when you were 17, 15, whatever, and living with your mom, I know I just said two ages that we haven't even talked about. You've said 13, 14. So when you were young and living with your mom, did you ever see like a future? Did you, did you think that a future existed where you could go and have a, a life like everyone else? No, absolutely not. I was actually dead convinced that I was going to be dead by the time I was 19. And so when my 19th birthday rolled around, I was baffled. (laughs) And I even told some of my friends, I was like, I can't believe I just lived this long. That's impressive. That is impressive. (laughs) (laughs) But after Idaho, I did actually get away from my mom. And so she, she had this really interesting honed skill. She was really good at getting people to give her money. And I'm, I was never really sure for what, but this meant that she burned a lot of bridges. And when we Mm -hmm. were in Idaho, there was two guys who she definitely had burned some bridges. Mm-hmm. I had connected with these guys and told them I needed to go back to Colorado. There was no way that I could stay here. I needed to leave. I had been talking with my dad and he also agreed. He was like, if you can make it here, you can come and stay with me. It's like, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. And these guys picked me up in their truck while my mom was gone. I filled up just a few backpacks, threw them in the back of the truck And they drove me from Sun Valley, Idaho, all the way to Boulder, Colorado, straight shot. And I played pinballs on one of their computers. I got really good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you still play? Uh, I mean, a real pinball machine, (laughs) yes. On the computer, no. But they dropped me off at my dad's back step. I was able to text a few of my friends and let them know that I was coming back to my dad's house. And I had three friends that were waiting for me on my dad's back step. And it just felt incredible. My dad did have kind of a crazy roommate at that time, so I couldn't stay there for very long. But I was able to stay with friends and 
enjoy celebrating my 16th birthday there. And okay, it got things were still really crazy, but they started to become more fun and free crazy than they okay. were constantly feeling like I had to survive and walk on eggshells every moment. Right. Okay. So at, at what point did the, um, did this turn into hitchhiking, riding the rails, all of that other fun stuff that your life took that, that turn? So when, when I turned 18, I got my car and I just, I loved being able to do cross-country road trips. I didn't have my license for more than 24 hours before I had three friends in my car and we drove to Oregon. (laughs) Okay. So I knew that there was a part of me that just always wanted to kind of run away. Mm -hmm. And then when my, my best friend, when I got back to Boulder, actually stole and totaled that car it felt like a big chunk of my freedom was taken away. So I had found, I had found this guy who was actually heading to Oregon. And I was like, okay, I want to get in your car. I have a friend in Oregon. Let's go. Okay. He like him and I had a bunch of mutual friends, so it didn't feel super shady, but in the car, I wasn't allowed to smoke, and I was hopelessly addicted to nicotine at this point in my life. Sure. And he didn't want me to listen to music, and he didn't want me to talk because driving was his meditation time. And we're driving through parts of Wyoming that are just an absolute hellscape. It's just, <laughs> there is nothing. There's literally nothing. Okay. And I'm about... I'm about done. Like I can't, I can't be in the car with this guy anymore. We stop in Ogden, Utah. I wake up in the car. I have a bad habit of waking up in terrible places. (laughs) I, I wake up and we're in the parking lot of this motel and he's coming out and he's like, Hey, I got us a room for the night. I was like, okay, great. That's awesome. Open up the door and there's one bed. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, sir. I was like, I'll sleep in the car. And he's like, no, no, no. Just, you know, we can share the bed. And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm really good. He's like, no, it's silly. Like, come inside. So I take the furniture and I start stacking the little desk chair and pretty much anything that I can grab onto that isn't bolted to the floor and start stacking it in the middle of the bed. And I was like, cool. That's your side. This is my side. (laughs) Okay. All good. But in the morning, I just, I couldn't do it. He left to go get coffee. I left his car at a gas station. I called a friend to see if they could pick me up. They were in Idaho. They couldn't come and get me. But this guy who was actually at the gas station overheard just my conversation about, hey, can you come and rescue me? I'm in kind of a bad situation. He was like, I'm headed to Boise. Where are you going to? And I was like, oh, I'm going to Twin Falls. Can I get in your car? He's like, yeah, 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 for sure. So that was the beginning of the hitchhiking. From there, it just, it started to get a lot easier. Like I got to Twin Falls. And then I was like, okay, well, from here, I'd like to get to Coeur d'Alene. 
So I went to Coeur d'Alene. And then before I knew it, I had been in four different people's cars. I had gotten proposed to once at a gas station. <laughs> and then... Who hasn't? Did, did you say yes? <sighs> I might have missed out on the one. <laughs> All right. Well, he might be listening. So... Oh, dear. <laughs> did we let him know I'm married? Oh, that's a... Okay. Sorry, bud. All right. That's a bummer. All right. Well, you know, but, it's where it sounds like it's worked out for you. Yeah. But from there, <laughs> it just became just this synchronicity of I would find myself at like an anarchist coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And there just happened to be people that smelled a bit like me. And we just started <laughs> to form these really strange alliances everywhere that we went. When I was finally in Olympia, I had heard that it wasn't too far to get from Olympia to Portland. And I was like, all right, let's do that. And I found out, yeah, it's really not that far. And that was the first place that I had actually train hopped was from Olympia to just outside of Portland. It was super fast, but it was one of those exhilarating moments where I couldn't believe what I was doing. And it made me feel... Just really alive. Also, I don't understand why people romanticize it because it's very loud. <laughs> like well, I thought my eardrums were going to burst the whole time that we were in this cart. You, you, you I mean, earplugs are, are a thing. Maybe, maybe some people come prepared. So when you said, did you say we were, were you were with other people? Yeah. At that point I was with other people. Okay. Was it their idea or were yes. you like, fuck it, let's go? No, okay. that was all they their were, idea. Were they, they were, already in the lifestyle? Yeah, they were already in the lifestyle. I was still shitting green at that point. So I was just kind of along for the ride. But, okay. it, like, did you find an empty box car? Like, how, how, do you, how do you ride the rails? How'd you do that? So there was a catch on point that we went to. And it was right when the train was actually slowing down and stopping In some of the train yards, I had heard that there's people that actually work the rails that they're okay with people jumping on as long as they're not fucking with what they're doing at work. Mm -hmm. And so with this one, they were actually stopped. We were able to jump on and we just kind of tucked ourselves in this little corner. Later on, I had found out that other people can hide underneath the triangles on the outside of some of the carts. And that blew my mind. I never did that. That's that is over my skill level. I can't do that. But right. <laughs> and that triangle is that like underneath the car? It's on the side of it. So you know where the cars actually connect, just, and then there's kinda... this triangle of metal that comes down and out. There would be people that could hunker down along there and be kind of buffered between the two cars. Okay. Yeah. I never did that. We were just jumping into an open box car. But yeah, that would be more my speed too. Yeah. Like we're not I would it wasn't on my agenda to lose any limbs. Yeah. But yeah, my my speed would be more that I would pick you up when the train stopped and you said, Hey Scott, I'm over here. Can you get me? I, I think that that is about all that I am going to do with with uh riding the rails. Or you know what? I, I'll 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 also say I listen to a handful of bands who 
the members ride the rails at times. So there's some good music that comes out of it for sure. There is some really good music. Yeah. But I, so is there a point? Well, you know, before I ask that question, I, I'm going to say this actually does sound, you know, you said you wonder why people romanticize it, but it, it sounds pretty fucking free. It, it sounds like, you know, you're doing something and you're, you're not, being held down by your mom anymore by society's normal expectations maybe or some creep with a car (laughs) yes yes and no it was that was a part of that lifestyle that i think maybe maybe that part of my life was a little bit of a wake-up call Mm -hmm. because there were some pretty terrible people that we ran into when we were traveling and we did lose one friend while we were traveling and we're still to this day like we're never going to really know what happened to them but I think when people think about that freedom it's something that they really crave but when you're in it you're not in it because it's comfortable you're in it because it was better than the worst case scenario. And for a lot of people, when they think about that lifestyle, it is kind of a worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, I can't help but think that, I mean, and this might even be what you're describing is that you said you were surprised to, to wake up on your 19th birthday. Like, I can't believe I made it this far at that point when, you didn't even expect to be alive. You know, I'm not a risk taker for you. You know, it, it, it was what it was survival or it was, Hey, was it just risk taking? I mean, what, what do you think? Why do you think you were doing it? I can pinpoint a few different reasons. Mm-hmm. Since I didn't have a traditional education, I thought that my options in life were going to be pretty much nothing. And so I might as well live and experience as much as I possibly can with what I have available to me to live some essence of a life. Mm -hmm. And I think by doing that, I led myself down a path where I actually got to live a lot more life than most people do. Mm -hmm. But it it's not it's still not something that I feel like should be romanticized. Like you shouldn't just quit your job and be like, I'm gonna go hitchhike across the country. Like, no, a lot of scary things actually did happen. There yeah. was a car that I had to jump out of. I've run into jumping in cars with some very unhinged people and could not wait to get out of them. Some of them I was like, I don't know if I'm actually gonna live through this. Sure. And every decision started with the thought of you know, if I die doing this, am I okay with that? And calculating like, okay, you know, I've actually had a lot of really good experiences. Like if this is my time to go, then that's probably okay. And you shouldn't think that way when you're that young. But for me, it just became really normal. Like I didn't, I didn't really have anything going for me. Yeah. And you know, I'm hesitating. I was going to say that 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 isn't a normal thought, but I, I shouldn't. I don't want to say normal or not normal, but it does seem, uh, you know, that it's not a thought like I've lived. You know, I'm okay with death, 
that I think a lot of people, especially of, of that age, deal with or have even had to be faced with. Was there a point when you decided that it was time to move on and, and kind of change your life? Yeah. So when I got back to Colorado, I was supposed to only pick up my dog. This whole journey actually took me all the way to Austin, Texas. Okay. So I was in Austin, Texas. I met some really amazing people there. They offered me a place to live if I wanted to get my stuff in Colorado and come back down and just live with them and start a life. Mm-hmm. And, I was and like, how you know old what? were you at this point? I was 19. Oh, okay. Still 19. Yeah. And I was absolutely ready. I was like, yes, let's, let's go. So I came back to Colorado, grabbed my dog, told my best friend that he should come with me. And then I met a really pretty boy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So and where, where was this at? That was in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, you didn't even make it back? I didn't make it back. Oh, okay. So met this really pretty boy. And he we were supposed to be a summer fling. So I was like, this isn't going to fuck up my plans at all. Like, this is going to be fine. Okay. He was supposed to move back to New York. He had a flight already booked. He was going to go move back in with his parents. And then he just never got on his plane. He just kind of, I woke up after we had said our goodbyes and he was on my couch and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I missed my flight. And I was like, oh. Okay. All right. Is is this pretty boy still in your life today? This pretty boy I have now been with since I was 19 years old and I am 34 now. And we live in Austin, Texas, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you made it to Austin. Okay. Hey, all are, right. Are you, living, are you living with the people who invited you the pri- previous time? No. My, well, he was my boyfriend at the time. We went through our own tumultuous experiences together. Actually did end up being homeless together at one point. Lived in an extremely shady apartment that was just infested with cockroaches. And we kept lying in the bathroom because anytime that we heard gunshots we would just go into the bathroom sit in the bathtub and drink wine oh it was a real bonding experience and we went to massage therapy school together we picked the best one that we could find and i started creating some options for myself and we decided we were gonna get married on 11 11 11 i proposed to him with a spit and a handshake and he said yes (laughs) okay And we moved here. We got married. We didn't even have an apartment. We didn't have a job. We didn't have anything. We bought a car for $2,000 just a few days before we left. And we made it work. Wow. Slowly but surely, we made it work. I I mean, that is a level of risk that a lot of people wouldn't take. But it sounds like just another day for you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of what my childhood has actually done for me and the way that I've been able to reframe and understand a lot of the experiences that I've had 
shaped me into a person that could start taking business risks and become an entrepreneur. And now it's been, I guess it's been 10 years, no, eight years since I started my first business. Okay. And if I wasn't so comfortable taking risks and being like, well, fuck it, let's just see if this works. I don't think that I would be where I am today. I think every single person who's an entrepreneur has a moment in their life where they realize they can't really depend on anybody else. And so they create opportunities for themselves. Yeah, without a doubt. And I'm not that type, right? I, I, what you're rolling in this podcast money only because you had enough (laughs) faith in put in the effort, Scott. Okay. Yes, exactly. But no, I, I have not been a risk taker in my life in, in, in any way. And, you know, I, I feel like I've got a lot of skills that would translate into in, to opening a business, but I, I, I don't have that in me. I mean, and it sounds to me, you know, people can go into business for lots of reasons and some people are more risk takers than others, but it sounds to me like you've had to face so much in your life that you know, you've had nothing at times. And I mean, that's, that's kind of the worst case scenario when you start a business is, well, in the end, you end up with nothing, right? You've been there and, and done that. And do you feel though that you mentioned a, a, a child? Did you say you have a kid? I have two now. <sighs> nice. Awesome. Yeah, they're okay. great. <laughs> How old are do they? Do you look good? Uh, my son is eight, almost nine, and my daughter is five. And they are very strong-willed, extremely hard to raise, <laughs> and I feel like I wouldn't have it any other way. They are they're really, really, really great, kind-hearted, very adventurous children that I think this world needs. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to ask awesome. one. I'm going to ask one more question. If they ever come to you and say, "Mom," Uh, I want to ride the rails. Uh, what are you going to say to them? I actually have two friends that are willing to come out of retirement to take them around the country if they ever want to. And they would do it safely with people who are very seasoned veterans. So I already have it planned out that, you know, if that's a fascination, you got to do it the safe way with people wow. who know what they're doing. All right. Well, uh, that was not the answer I was expecting, but it is a great answer. And it seems like that, you know, the type of answer that a wonderful mom could come up with. And I guess just, I said that was my last question. It was my last question about kind of this story, but what are you doing now? You said you've started multiple businesses. What one are you on right now? What, what, what can people if they want to give you their money, what what would you be doing for them? What what what's the business? So my business is Pro Inhibition. I just started it. I'm actually so excited. It came out of a passion of researching lost cocktails from the 1800s, digging through so many archives to find just the most random cocktails. And I I have my own cocktail smoker kit now. It's a metal cocktail smoker kit. A lot of people are angry because mine doesn't come with a torch, but there's a very good reason. And it's because after buying nearly every single cocktail smoker on the market, the first thing that went out 
was the torch. So instead I was like, well, fuck that. I'm going to give one for free to anybody who wants them, who buys my product. Just go to my website. You get one for free. Congratulations to you. You didn't waste money on some shit. So (laughs) I tried to save the disappointment for people. But you can find me on TikTok under Pro Inhibition. And you can find, I mean, you can send me an email through my website if you really want to chat. But I am on Instagram. I'm just not as active there. I'm really loving the community that we're building on TikTok right now. Okay. You said uh, on your website, can you spell out your website for us? It is. Oh, oh my God. My spelling. Okay. There we go. So it is P-R-O-I-N-H-I-B-I-T-I-O-N. Pro inhibition. So basically prohibition, just add an in in there. Yep. And that's dot com. Dot com. You got it. Oh, I've got smoked cocktails up on my screen. So I think I'm on the right one. Uh, Super, super interesting. And I am, I think that that was a bold move after not being allowed to go to school to have something that's so hard to spell. But I think, (laughs) I mean, it's also a little late. Usually I'm a little quicker on the draw right now. I'm like, my fumes are running, but you guys are such great energy that I feel pretty energized. (laughs) All right. I appreciate that. Dan, do you have anything else you want to say before I wrap this up? No, man, I'm on your website. I might buy a hoodie. Yeah. Those things look real comfy. Oh my God. They're so comfortable. I love (laughs) it. All right. Well, and and speaking of buying things, Katie, I will tell you the offer that I've been making to everyone who Dan thinks that I'm never going to get anyone not to agree happen. to is that I am paying for tattoos for people that say decent fucking human or DFH. <laughs> so if that is something that you legit want to do, uh, it's on me. I told Dan I'm going to get five people. And for the listeners, Katie has her hand raised in the air about as high as it can go. I mean, very enthusiastic. Yes, yes, yes. And a lot of people have said yes, but getting a tattoo isn't something that you do like the next day. You got to talk to your artist or find an artist if you don't have one, get the design, all of that. So people have been slacking. But I swear, and I think what I'm going to do though is Katie's have a design the rails, man. She's going to get out the Indian ink and like a needle and thread. <laughs> this will be on her wrist tomorrow. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I think what I'm going to do is actually get a design that and put it up on our Instagram or something, so people just have to show that to their artists. Because I think that might be one of the things keeping people from doing it so far. But if you legit want to do it, we'll work. We'll we'll figure this out offline. And we'll get you that and I'll get myself one and I'm going to get a few other people who have sworn that they're getting it. Um, and it'll be part of the club. And I swear this is not another cult. Okay. This, this no. is not another cult. <laughs> I have some of the most random tattoos. So this will be, this will add to my collection and I'm so excited. <laughs> Can you give us one description of your weirdest, most random tattoo? Or your favorite most random tattoo. (laughs) I have a black light tattoo that is a tie-dye fish that is on my ass. And uh, 
it stood for a time when I felt like every time that God was tapping on my fishbowl, that was when everything was the most uncomfortable. So yeah, it's a tie-dye fish. It's a terrible tattoo. There's and it, it glows in the dark? It glows under black light. Oh is God. it visible without the black thing. light? It is visible without the black light. And it's, it's not really as awesome? Good. No. No. I mean, I got it when I was 18. <laughs> That's so. a great answer. Thank you. It, it, it is a great answer. If you have any pictures of other tattoos, you said that one was on your ass. It's probably not for our Instagram. But if you have any other random, cool, weird tattoos, uh, we'll throw that up on the Instagram if you share it. But if sure. not, not a big deal either. But anyway, Katie, wow, I, for especially for being someone I booked 24 hours in advance, this was an incredible ride today. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. This, this exceeded my expectations for sure. And, no doubt. You know, I, I, I wrap up the same way every time because it, it's true every time. Uh, I sometimes don't understand why people want to talk to us and tell us their stories and be vulnerable. But without you and, and all the other decent fucking humans that come on the show, we'd have nothing. So thank you so much. I'm grateful. I'm humbled. I'm honored. Uh, basically, anything that I can say, it's, it's, it's been a blast today. So thank you so much. And as usual... This has been absolutely, positively terrible. I met you back at Tonica Fest.